The next Packet Pushers Virtual Design Clinic is on December 19th, 2018. VDCs are live virtual events where you attend for free and no one contacts you after unless you opt in. We are going to do some Ask Me Anything segments with a panel of industry experts, including Denise Donahue and Yvonne Pepelniak. And we will hear presentations on NVMe over Fabric, CICD, and SD-WAN. Celebrate the holiday change freeze by registering at packetpushers.net slash VDC. And now on with today's episode. Metadata is data about data, and in your company, the metadata matters. You might not think it does, but getting your metadata correct means you have a lot more power and control over the information your business uses to do what it does. For example, where the data gets stored and at what tier, when data should be moved to optimize a business process, who is accessing the data, and how often the data is being accessed. Yep, that is all tied up in metadata, the topic of our discussion today on the Data Knots podcast. Packetpushers.net, you can find this in all of our Datanaut shows about infrastructure engineering, or just search for Datanauts, spelled like astronauts, in your favorite podcatcher. You can follow us at Datanauts underscore show. I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks, and with me is Chris Wall, at Chris Wall on Twitter, who falsifies his online personal metadata just to screw with Facebook advertising algorithms. Joining us is Karen Lopez. Karen, uh, welcome to Data Not. Not your first appearance. You were here on uh, show 74 where we discussed data models. But for those who maybe missed that show, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> hey, those are metadata questions. They are. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, like you said, Karen, I sometimes go by Kitty to my personal friends. And um, I'm a senior project manager and architect. I'm an independent consultant and analyst my company name is InfoAdvisors. My website is datamodel.com. And I go by DataChick on Twitter, and I tweet about a lot of things quite often. Yes, you do tweet about a lot of things quite often. But today we're <laughs> going to focus on metadata. So why don't you set this up? I know I kind of hit it in the intro, but uh, give us your definition of, of metadata, Karen. What is it? Okay. So as you mentioned in the intro, a lot of people call it data about data. And that's a great rule of thumb way of thinking about it. But it's not just data about data, it's also data about things we care about. So even information about tech things, a serial number, or the date something happened or was started, that could be referred to as metadata. Basically, it's properties of some other piece of data that we keep about something. But a really important part here is perspective. So one man's metadata might be another man's data. So we're going to talk about that. Sometimes I find it easier to think about it in the negative. So, so if we didn't have metadata, there was just didn't exist. Kind of, what do we lose out on? What what makes it so important? Well, the important part is when we're working with data. If you saw, you know, if you had a JSON file coming in, or heaven forbid, XML, or if you're really old and experienced like me, a CSV file, and you just had a series of numbers and words and things that look like they might be credit card numbers, but maybe they're serial numbers. If you didn't have the metadata that explained what this data is, where did it come from, what are the permissions it has, what are the security rights, how could it be used, you're going to have a tough time working with that data or working with it correctly. And in fact, a lot of big sort of computing system failures are because people used the wrong data, got the wrong list, you know, those kinds of things. Hmm. I actually kind of like that. I'm thinking about a table that had no column headers or, you know, that kind of jazz. And then it would, would be, you know, 
just addresses with no context. They'd be like, okay, what is this? It makes exactly. sense. Exactly. And people rely on, I know, like I work on a lot of agile projects and people talk about, you know, the right amount of documentation, which some people mishear as no documentation. That's a big fail. <laughs> is that, you know, we can all disagree how much metadata is good to collect and manage. So I'm a data person. So therefore, I think you can't have enough metadata. And a lot of the DBAs and devs and infrastructure people I work with are like, everyone's going to know what that is. It looks like an IP address. It smells like an IP address. It has to be an IP address, right? Well, all depending, I guess. That, yeah. That's your point. What the metadata is that's describing that attribute. Yeah. Exactly. Now, there's lots of examples of metadata that uh, we, we can quickly talk through. Now, Karen, you just mentioned uh, CSVs and not having column headers. I guess that would be a form of, uh, of structured data and then putting metadata uh, around that structured data. Mm -hmm. Yep, very much so. Okay. So unstructured data were just like file names and so on. I was thinking of uh, you could have the metadata of the name of the file, or it could be a, like, a, like a, an image, a JPEG or a TIFF, and you could have fields in there. Those would all be describing that file and what it is networking has got uh, flow records. That is metadata about data that is flowing through your switcher router. And then there's more, there's sensor data, there's extended file attributes that, that are supported in, well, a lot of different file systems, but including uh, Linux and NFS. Public cloud has got metadata, permissions to the file, uh, encryption kind of information related to that file in the cloud, perhaps. Uh, we mentioned uh, you know photos, media, uh, with other kind of settings as well. Uh, and Chris, you brought up one too. I was going to say, I was curious about like a, a, a CMDB, a configuration management database. I mean, I'm thinking about it in this way. We're, we're trying to make sure everyone understands metadata. And this is the best thing I can think of that kind of relates to infrastructure operations when it comes to a solid example. Can you explain kind of what would be the data versus the metadata with a CMDB? Well, so that's kind of the, the hard part. So if I were wearing, say, a operation support, production support hat, information I had about the network and and the measures where like the sensor data we have pointed at the network, I'd probably just think of that as data. That's the data I work with. If I was a DBA, I might think of all that information about the network as metadata. That's where it gets really hard to talk about it. And so a data architect like myself, we really just see it all as data and that just some data describes other data. So something like who added this or what can it be used or where can this data be located? Where is this server allowed to be shipped to? Where is this computer with encryption technology allowed to be shipped to? That kind of stuff should be all contained in a configuration management system. Whether it's one database or not is sort of one of the big questions about data in general. The world is kind of moving, the IT world's moving away from one database to rule them all sort of approaches to doing things, even though that would be the most effective way. It's just not always the most efficient because in most on most of the clients I work at, all of the systems that manage all the infrastructure are separate siloed systems. So they either have to buy a giant inventory management configuration management system that goes and scans all those other databases or they have to manually input it, and we know how how that data quickly gets stale. Hmm. Give me some other cool metadata stories that you've got, Karen. That something that will give us some more context, a sense of where else the, uh, metadata is used. So, like one of the oldest uses of the term metadata that most people, most humans, regular humans, non infrastructure people knew about, was metadata about photographs. 
So you, you know that if you go in and you open the properties of a photo, you might see what the camera settings were, um, what lenses or equipment were used, and more importantly, the location of the photo. And that's come up in the news just because as we keep thinking about privacy and location tracking and all that stuff, a lot of people share photos and don't realize that all that metadata is can be yeah. stored right in the file for well, it. And, and, and typically are. Like, like You shoot a picture with an iPhone, your GPS tag uh, for where you took that shot is embedded right in there. That's right. And, but even like a digital camera that might not be connected to anything, that metadata is normally stored right in the file where it's saved, whether it's a, in the raw format or a JPEG or something like that. So the average person doesn't think about that they're sharing files that have metadata incorporated. Even, you know, Microsoft Word documents have metadata about the author and the machine and, and all of those things. So you could, um, you know, a lot of uh, sort of dumb criminal stories are about people who email something, a file or a photo, and don't realize they've just disclosed a whole lot of information about it. I remember that because, well, I mean, maybe I'm dating myself a bit, but like the 2000s, I remember people sending photos from when smartphones were coming out. And it was like, you literally just tagged, a fo- and in this case, I think it was like something was stolen and they were photographing and sending it to the, the target saying like, hey, I have your thing. And they're like, well, thanks for tagging it with your GPS location. The police are coming to get you. And that was the first time I had ever even thought about the phone tagging the photo with location. And I immediately like turned all of that off. <laughs> yeah. The other interesting one is how software vendors are using the telemetry they collect about usage of features in the software that they support. Um, And this is all disclosed in those 3000 page licensing agreements, acceptable use policies that we all agree to. And they're not collecting it about you really is that they know now that if only 1% of their users are using this feature in software, then they might put their monies and their development stuff either to making it more usable or to abandon it. This whole new thing about telemetry in IT is also a really interesting news story for me. Hmm. Well, I'll pour a little liquor out for Google Reader because I'm sure uh, (laughs) (laughs) we miss you so much. Exactly. So we've described the perspective of data and metadata, but I I mean, how how far down do the turtles go? Is it there's the metadata about metadata? Uh, For those that haven't heard of that, it's uh, just Google turtles all the way down. You'll, You'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you can keep going because if you, let's say that we collect metadata about photographs or files as they float around in our systems, then we might also want to collect metadata about how that metadata was assigned to that file. So for instance, was it automatically added by a device? Did someone update it? Was it appended later because it went through our PII, personally identifiable information check or financial system check? Has it been approved by somebody? You can just keep going because it really is all about data. Karen, for the IT folks in our crowd, which is, let me think, all of them, uh, give them a reason why metadata is important to them. It's kind of implied, but, but let's give them some details. Well, so what it's really important is we've spent all this money collecting and persisting data, maybe making it higher quality, maybe cleaning it up. And if we don't collect and manage the metadata, data starts expiring, you know, it has a best buy date to it. If we're really, truly relying on just like, just ask the guy who wrote the system what that actual one column means or what those files mean, 
then as those people move on, we've lost that knowledge. So it's an important part of just like any other asset we track and invest money on is that we need to keep this metadata about it. It's also easier, you know, I think I said on the last show too, because it's my favorite saying, is that we have to remember that ROI also stands for uh, risk of incarceration. With the new GDPR stuff, metadata is going to be really important for tracking things like, did we obtain consent when we captured this data? What was the consent given for? What are the allowed usages? Because over time, we might have collected, you know, updated our agreement policy, and we might be asking for agreement and consent to use it in this other way. And the reason I say risk of incarceration is because GDPR covers both substantial monetary penalties plus the risk of criminal sentences for breaching GDPR laws. And other countries are working on similar legislation. So it's not just a European thing that we have to deal with. So keeping your boss out of jail might not be in your (laughs) job description, but it's there. Unless that's what you're going for. And then thumbs up. Exactly. But he's going to punt you. Just, (laughs) Just watch all the news about data breaches. See who gets blamed. Yeah. Now, Karen, I, I've, I've known you uh, enough to know that you're a person with a strong opinion. So I thought it would be fun on this show as we uh, we come to the end of each of our sections to to get Karen's opinion. So, Karen, I want your opinion. Do you have a philosophy of metadata or, or another big principle around metadata that you've developed uh, as you spend your career working with data? So I didn't develop this, but the first time I saw it, which went around some photography circles and now has been shared also in other data worlds, I I really love it. It's giving me goosebumps right now. Metadata is a love note to you in the future. So if you're going to love your data, you want to make sure that you include these little love notes with the data you collect because it's going to help you value that data even more, especially as the passage of time happens. So I was thinking that, as Karen says, perspective is key here, such as with the CMDB example. I would consider that data since it describes my environment. I'm using it. I need it. But someone managing the database, like a DBA, it's just metadata. It's a database filled with metadata about actual infrastructure stuff. So that really clarified things for me. What's on your mind, Ethan? Well, just that metadata is everywhere and it matters. We were going through the examples and talking about all the different places that you find it. I was just overwhelmed by just how pervasive it is. Uh, Even so, there was a major metadata use case for IT that we didn't even talk about, although it's come up on DataNauts before, and that is tagging. Tagging has become key to managing scale out and ephemeral infrastructure, and you couldn't write effective security policy without that metadata and tagging approach. It's just really interesting just how everywhere metadata is. Okay, well, now that we've all been embracing the love that is metadata, which two thumbs up, I think we need to walk through the different models that exist for storing the metadata. And I know that we kind of hinted on this in the earlier part of the discussion, but let's dive in deeper. I think the first area I'd like to focus on is around the concept of metadata being stored with the data itself. So Karen, can you explain some of the details of how this is done and and perhaps even some concerns that the enterprise has around this concept? Okay. So this is really common in things like relational databases, JSON files. If you think about it, you know, a relational databases has place to keep definitions of tables and columns, to keep notes about them, to keep the permissions. So there are 
two sort of major things when people think about traditional databases is the data that's in it, the structure they have, and then this metadata that is either used by an application or a person to work with the data. So ideally, keeping them all in the same place means that, you know, as people in the future use the data, as new people come on, they can always find the metadata. The trade-off is sometimes this could make your databases a lot bigger and storage people think, well, I just want to store the data. I don't need, you know, a diagram of the database to be stored in the database or these long definitions and notes and export constrictions and everything. Can't we just put that in a document that someone would read? And this is our classic trade-off of cost, benefit, and risks about design decisions. And I've definitely worked with a lot. I'll say the majority of the DBAs I worked with are very picky about what gets put in the database. There's definitely what I'm, I'm kind of like, hey, it's a place to store stuff. Put the things in there. And they're like, no, 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 no. There's certain things that belong in here. There's certain things that absolutely do not. So I feel like the back pressure here kind of from the enterprise part of the concerns would be, no bueno, I'm the gatekeeper. This is not allowed in here. Assuming that control and visibility exists at that kind of database administrator layer, right? That's right. And it also depends on the database. So for instance, in SQL Server, a lot of this metadata is just stored in a, what's basically a system table called extended properties. And there are standard extended properties like the length of a column and what the data type is for a column. Those are stored in different places in a database. Another database system like DB2 yeah, it's still around too. DB2 stores it right in the catalog, right next to the data. So in general, DBAs don't like that extra performance hit on having a whole lot of metadata stored with the data in the database because it can impact all kinds of production considerations with the data. Yeah, well, we're talking about structured data here with databases, but there's there's unstructured data uh, as well where we've got the same challenge. You've got all that metadata that lives with those files or, or whatever the unstructured data is made up of. And do you keep that in the same place or, or do you separate it out? I mean, if you, if you keep it in there, then at least you've got your single source of truth. You know what the metadata is because it's stored right in the file or whatever the object is that you're accessing. But on the flip side, then how do you actually search the, the metadata? You got to walk the tree where all that data is stored. And that's not very fast. It can be an issue. It, it sort of, you know, the, the cost benefit and risk trade-off I make is how likely is any one component that I'm storing data about likely to move around on its own? So for instance, files move around a lot on their own. A single row in a database or a single column don't tend to move around on their own. Um, so I like that files have metadata stored in with them. The last update date, the date it was created, maybe some other things like a password with it or some password hash. That's why files tend to be a little bit more data rich than some other things, like whether it's a CSV file has basically file level stuff and nothing about the individual pieces of data in it. And I think those are decisions that were made. A lot of these decisions about metadata about files were, of course, made when operating systems were created. That's why we're kind of stuck with them now, that we only have these certain properties that we can embed in just any random file. It's because of decisions that were made in the OS days. Yeah, it reminds me of extended attributes. I was, when prepping up for this show, that's a topic that I came across and found out that, yeah, extended attributes is a thing that uh, is supported in, in, in a Linux file system, but not 
everywhere and not in the same way necessarily. So it's possible to pick up a file with extended attributes that have been populated with whatever metadata you put in there, move it somewhere else, and they might be gone, all depending on the protocol you use to do the move. That's that's true. And especially as data, like rows of data instances of data move from one database system to another, like if you go from um, Oracle to some Hadoop file store, I mean, you had data embedded. And when you send it over as a text file to be dealt with in Hadoop, that metadata doesn't come with it because there's not a place in the distribution system in Hadoop to store it. Of course, there are tools and plugins and everything, like you said, where we can store it. Um, but it's still not going to get there automatically. Well, so maybe there is a use case here in some places to store the metadata away from the data in its own database. I mean, there's there's pros and cons to that. You know, the pros we can we can search it and so on, and uh, but then you got to keep that metadata database current because it's it's not actually the you're using it as the source of truth, but it isn't really. That's right. It's a copy of metadata, really. And, you know, and then we end up with copies of copies and everything. Um, there, there really is this problem, again, cost, benefit, and risk. So th- these systems that store metadata have been around for decades, at least in the structured data world. They were repositories. They were metadata repositories, portals, all of that stuff. And also, like in my previous session about data models, like data models contain not just the structure of data, but they are like most of the information we keep in a data model is metadata. It's all the things we've been talking about, usually about structured data. But as we use these external or third-party metadata systems, then this keeping them in sync with the actual data is really hard. That's why the most successful ones are scanner-based. They're not just upload all this metadata. Now someone goes and changes it when someone tells them about it. Is they're constantly scanning? Did this table get a new column? Is there a new file in this file directory? And that that's how it has to work. It truly has to be automated to deliver any benefits. You have to very quickly keep that metadata uh, updated by being notified of a change. I'm aware of a change. Oh, okay, time to go scan, pull the new metadata, update the metadata database. Or, or, or yes, as you say, then you're, you're looking at stale data that's not helping you make decisions. And it's always, because it's a copy, going to be slightly out of date, right? I mean, that's the nature of distributed data. Once you have multiple copies, you're being a little bit more tolerant of inconsistencies between the real world and your metadata repository. Okay, so two thoughts on the conversation so far. I mean, number one, for those listening at home, try saying metadata database 10 times fast. That's, <laughs> that's a heck of a tongue twister. Thought number two, Karen, it sounds like you sound pretty negative on this idea of keeping it, the metadata away from the data. Am I reading that right? Or is there just a lot of caveats to be turned, I mean, turned around? It's just a lot of caveats. So actually, you know, the most successful data-driven organizations have systems that do exactly this, mostly because of the problem I spoke about. The challenge I spoke about earlier is metadata kept in individual systems is silos. It can't be integrated. It can't be easily searched. So having a metadata repository or system, whatever you call it, an asset control system, a configuration database, I mean, they're all slightly different, but in the overall scheme of things, they're keeping track of metadata. It's just that you can't just buy a system, slap it in, upload all your metadata, and then continue to get benefits. It has to have this data governance to it of we will use it. We will use it this way, and we will try to automate it as much as possible. 
I'm sure all the Fortune 1000s running their mission-critical businesses on Microsoft Access are cringing right now, but... <laughs> Although, although I'm not entirely wrong on that one. Yeah, it's actually Excel, but yeah. Uh, no, no, access lives in my heart. But we'll, we'll move forward there. What about doing both? Having the metadata with the data for kind of that consistency concern, but also having a separate metadata database. Oof, that's tough. For that that searchability. I mean, I understand that obviously means you have data in two places and that's going to consume more storage. But is that a thing? Can you expand on that? Yeah, that's definitely a thing. And in fact, just because of the issue I mentioned before, that the things we're managing, the things that we're keeping data about, they're already full of metadata. Your OS is full of metadata about your files. The files themselves have metadata stuffed in them. And even if we were to scan them and derive all that information, that metadata is still there. And I think the metadata closest to the source is probably the one likely to be the most true as well, or at least truth as business knows it. Hmm. Karen, I want to ask you a kind of an architecture question here related to all of this. Now, we've got metadata that we could store separately or together, but if we're storing them together, metadata with the data, are we creating a bottleneck in the file system potentially? And the context is... My understanding is if you're reading metadata, that's a file system request, just like reading the file itself. So are there design concerns where separating them are good for performance reasons? I think the issue here is that for a lot of the things we manage, we're always going to still have metadata in it. It's really sort of the metadata that humans create about things where we're making this decision. So like I said, a Word document has author information in it, but if you had more extended data... You can either add that into your Word document, I believe, as an extended property there. This adds to the amount, I feel like I've said data so many times, <laughs> that adds to the amount of stuff you're storing and then moving through the network. Yeah, if you had a really uh, metadata-rich system, there's going to be a consequence to that. And I like to think of it just cost, benefit, and risk. It's not bad. And I think a lot of the things coming back to security, PII, GDPR, all of those buzzwords and TLAs there, is that we're going to find that the benefit of not going to jail or not paying 4% of your global revenue before taxes and expenses is going to mean we need to be prepared to pay for those costs. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I mean, the world's different, but performance, you know, keeping your boss out of jail may mean taking some performance hits at times. Unacceptable. Not having metadata, right, not an option. You're definitely going to. And for anyone that's interested in NFS, if you look at parallel NFS, you that part of what's happening there is you're separating metadata and data and giving yourself a, a different set of uh, I.O., uh, different channels to do your operations where metadata is out of the path of the data. It's a, kind of an interesting study that addresses this question. Yeah, I definitely suggest reading PNFS, but don't actually use it. I'll, I'll <laughs> I have some blog posts about that. I, anyways, mo moving forward. I just, I, <laughs> oh, it's NF another show. All NF right. NFS, and it just it's it's my it's my jam, and I have very strong opinions. But we're concerned about your opinions here, Karen, and I want to ask you about. Security and the idea of malicious actors, you know, which is kind of the fancy word for someone stealing your crap, goes in and, and steals the metadata. And I've always been under the impression that, you know, that's okay because it's not the data itself. And if they capture the metadata, not a big deal. The data is still there and pristine. Do we care about losing metadata? Are there actual security concerns there? 
I think there are. I mean, I've worked with clients who have a policy that you are forbidden from giving away the names of servers, you know, your login ID, even if you're not giving a password. And that's a concern that security experts have is the more that someone knows about your systems, the more that they are likely to be able to either social engineer or hack their way in or use that to leverage someone else. And my biggest concern is the social engineering. So for instance, I see printouts of documents with the sort of file folder structure down at the bottom. I think that would help me call a help desk and get my password reset, even though I'm not that person. And I've even had met someone who gave a presentation at a conference and had inadvertently exposed the name of their metadata repository server and URL, and she was fired just because she exposed it during her talk. Wow. So different companies have different opinions on this, but because I think metadata is very valuable because it tells you more about the data, then I think the other issue is that it also needs to be secured in certain ways, especially your metadata repository. Well, Karen, we're at the end of our section and it's time for your opinion. Now, do you have a favored architecture for storing metadata? My favorite is that it be automated. Like I don't care where it is, whether it's in the cloud or on a server in a single database, lots of them. The only way to really make this work in a modern enterprise is the collection of data, the syncing of it, the putting it all together has to be so automated. It has to be very DevOpsy. Does that make sense? DevOpsy, very fancy. But but I get your <laughs> point. You you really you don't want to have to think about it. Whatever it is, it needs to be automated as much as it can be. And it also needs to have, um, especially when we're talking about definitions of the data, the data sovereignty or where the data can be located, it also needs to be available to and used by the end users of data. And we don't often think of technical infrastructure things as having end user access, but that's what makes it the most valuable. The thing that stuck out to me is that keeping your metadata database in sync is, is a key element that you have to have for your storage infrastructure. And so you got to ask your vendors about this. How is my metadata database kept in sync? Is it eventually consistent? How does that work? What's the lag time? And so on. Understanding that could really influence your buying decision on a particular storage solution. Chris, what was your thought? Well, I've learned that it's time to stop naming my virtual servers using my social security number and my mother's maiden name. I'm just kidding aside. When Karen brought up the social engineering aspect of stealing metadata, and I, I thought it was just interesting as it relates to enterprise security. And I suppose this is why we're always being encouraged, among other reasons, to use randomly generated kind of non-human readable server IDs like you see in the public cloud space. I want us to talk now uh, about how metadata is used in enterprise storage. Um, and, and I had one example that I came across pretty recently here, a company called Igneous, who's been around in the storage space for a while. They're offering, oh, I think they call themselves unstructured data management as a service. Um, they gave an example in a briefing to me about how they move data through an organization based on metadata tags. Uh, and they give this very specific example of, of a TIFF. This is all on the record. Uh, but the company is called Page.ai. They're a cancer research company. 
The metadata in the TIFF is used by Igneous to know, okay, based on the tags, I got to put the work or I got to put these images here and then they're going to be analyzed. And after that, I'm going to move them to this other place. And then I'm going to move them to this final place as it went through the workflow within that company. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Karen, have you heard of uh, examples of things like this data being moved around based on workflow? Yeah, sure. This comes up a lot in data virtualization where you know, that people don't know where the data is, what server it's on, or in the cloud, the application doesn't know, your database doesn't know, and nobody cares about it. And then that data can be moved around based on the last time it was accessed or what the closest pipe is or the fastest pipe, any of that stuff. And a lot of that has to be guided by metadata about the data, its criticality, the special data protection needs it might have, maybe it gets sent to a certain, it's closest to a certain department because they're the ones that use that data or have the most urgent performance needs. Well, Kara, what about archiving data? Obviously, we can't just use it in production forever. Eventually, it's got to go somewhere for these silly compliance and governance and all that kind of you know businessy needs. How about metadata for storing archive data? Yeah, so that's important. And archiving can be done based on a whole bunch of factors. The number one usually used is legal compliance. Like either you're legally required to keep and persist this data for X number of years or maybe forever, or maybe due to compliance issues, you're not allowed to keep it for more than six months after your last interaction with a person, or maybe it's only five minutes after. All of that information about the characteristics of the data, the laws, the security, things about maybe Again, cost, benefit, and risk. So really old data about your financial performance from 10 years ago. Maybe you still keep it around, but it doesn't need to be super fast unless you ask an end user and then they will always tell you it needs to be on demand and sub-second response time. But we all know, all of, all of us architects know how to manage those, sort of balance the expectations to the cost. I saw that recently at a tweet. Someone was like, I think it was during reInvent. Someone was like, you know, the, the, the needs of the developer. We want it. We want it right now. And they're like, I didn't know the needs of the developer was the same with my toddler. Uh, so, uh, so just throwing out a little shade there. I thought that was kind of funny uh, based on your, your comment there, Karen. But I, I agree with you. I get it. Yeah. But in that same vein, don't a num- well, I, I'd say a number of storage vendors actually allow you to query some sort of API. I know Isilon has the 1FS, which is their kind of underlying file system. Uh, they have an API called ChangeList that allows you to determine kind of what's different between the first time you queried, you know, the file structure of the file system versus the second time. This is typically used for backups and things of that nature. That feels metadata-y. I'm not quite sure how that works. I don't know what your opinion on that is as far as enterprise storage and metadata, though. Yeah, so I'm not familiar with this uh, offering, but it sure sounds like metadata to me. And again, I keep coming back to it's not so important to make a distinction between what's real data and what's metadata. It's all data, you know, and it's all important to somebody based on their perspective. That's fair. I, I keep thinking when you say real data, like this data with a long <laughs> nose, I want to be a real data. Anyways. <laughs> That's great. Another use case here for metadata in enterprise storage. Karen, you and I were at a Tech Field Day event together, oh, back in October 2018, and uh, a company called Hammerspace was launching about that time. And their whole thing was separating metadata from data. And then uh, with that separation, you have the ability to move the data around. You interact with the metadata to figure out what you need, but don't have to worry so much about where it is. The metadata will just tell you where to go get it. 
and then Hammerspace would move the data around where it's needed based on uh, who's accessing it and, and from where. I don't know if you had an impression on that or at least the idea generally. Yeah. So, I mean, I would fit this into the data virtualization bucket. And I believe they, you know, some of the questions were about this data sovereignty question as well, depending on how far you were moving it away and whether it could be moved to another country. I mean, all of these things, all of this automation, this virtualization, and even things like just the current trend on software defined everything. When we say software defined, it's really, when I look at it, metadata defined. I mean, it really is taking data about something that we t used to have a physical thing for. I mean, a VM is really, you know, part of a server that's got a lot of metadata around it about what resources it can use and who can access it and everything. So I think all virtualization is really a metadata question. I'll put that stake in the ground. Mm, okay, fair enough. I, I wouldn't disagree. It's just files with certain permissions. And yeah, there's a config file that tells it, you know, this is what you look like. This is how you act. Totally agree with you, Karen. It also makes me think about, well, earlier in, in the show, I, I was talking about security. I hate to be that person, although I actually secretly enjoy being that person. Uh, auditing and logging and kind of figuring out what's going on with accessing data. I guess pick that apart for me. Yeah, I mean, this is all, to a security professional, this is just the data they use. For me, it's metadata. It's about who's accessing what. All monitoring and logging and alerting is really driven off metadata, or it's really driven off, you know, information about usage. This is all really important. And again, compliance becomes m much more expensive to not have, the more likely we'll be doing more of this. Yeah, I guess I also am curious about your opinion as to where we put that metadata. Because I guess my mind is thinking, if the metadata on access is with the data that's being accessed, wouldn't that be kind of a bad idea? Because then you steal one, you have both? There is that. And that's also a classic system, system administrator issue, right? If you have all these compliance and auditing stuff, but a DBA or a sysadmin or a network admin can go in and alter the logs, then your logs really aren't the truth either. Mm -hmm. So who's monitoring the monitors is always a, sort of a security conundrum. It may be the answer is you store it locally because that's performant, but then you also move copies off-site that are disconnected, air-gapped, or whatever it is that we're doing to make sure that you know, we still have those logs that they can't be messed with. Because I'm, I'm sure no AD administrators have ever gone through and deleted things out of the windows of that log on the domain controllers. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, Karen, there's a few vendors out there that are able to do all sorts of proactive monitoring and heuristics, and, and they do that by capturing performance-related data. Now, if you're familiar with this, is this using metadata or does it kind of blur the line? Well, so it's all the big it depends thing. and And I think that I keep coming back to the same theme that the, for someone who works with the data, all of this is metadata because it's not about the business process and not about the data. Um, but I think that, you know, whether we're using heuristics or machine learning or AI to deal with, to try to be more proactive about monitoring and make sure we're provisioning services and failing over properly, all of those things. It's really data about managing the technical enterprise, the IT infrastructure. So I don't really care whether it's metadata or not. It's just data to me. Well, let's close with uh, one final time for Karen's opinion. 
<laughs> do, do you think that enterprises are using their metadata as well as they could, Karen? And, and if not, what should they be doing better? <laughs> I know they're not. And I'm, I think most probably everyone listening after we've had these discussion realizes their enterprises probably aren't. Definitely not as good as they could. But again, the compliance issues, the risk of incarceration issues, as well as just trying to do things more automated, you know, what I call engineering out the stupid. We're, we're already <laughs> doing this. <laughs> That's my job on projects is engineering out the stupid. Just the advent of, gosh, everything at every event I've been to for the last two years, digital transformation, whatever buzzwords I'm going to use here. You know, the, the ability to deploy and the virtualization and the software-defined everything, all of that just screams we need to formally manage the metadata and we can't keep doing it in a siloed basis because, you know, standing up a, a failover environment isn't just failing over the servers. It's also maybe moving the application to be closer to where the new servers are. Maybe it's making sure that we can't move this database to another country because of compliance issues. Maybe we need to know that the performance will degrade by 15% and that's okay. Maybe we need to know that we only need current, really current data, maybe the last 90 days available while we're in this failover position. All this configuration data, like configuration is really metadata as well. So I think enterprises are going to be forced to be more formal about it to do these modern development and infrastructure methods. Hmm. Can I just tack on, you, you mentioned avoiding incarceration. I think I'd make that number one on my list. You'd think, but you know, the businesses have been reacting to GDPR more about losing 4% of their global revenue. I mean, personally, I'm going to put that at the top of, as an architect, I'm going to make that both a requirement and a constraint. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so as an architect, you should say, we need to do this for compliance. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, Karen Lopez, thank you for joining us on Data Nos today to talk about metadata. Now, how can folks follow you, which I guess is metadata about Karen? It is. So I'm Data Chick on Twitter. I apologize already because I tweet a lot about a lot of stuff, although recently a lot of space stuff. So that's important. And I also blog at datamodel.com. That's the most common things. But social media, Instagram, everything, I'm pretty much Data Chick everywhere. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us. And thanks to you for listening to today's edition of the Data Nuts podcast. A special favor to all you who are listening, please register for the next Packet Pushers Virtual Design Clinic. That's at packetpushers.net slash VDC. You're going to get no spam after the event, and they are a lot of fun. And while you're on the Packet Pushers website, click around to the subscribe page. We've got all the shows in our network along with our industry news feeds, community tech bloggers, and so much more, all in one tidy place with a bow and everything. Until then, may your server lights blink, your metadata always tell the truth, and your cables be cleanly managed. Okay. Three. <laughs> oh, now you're making me get my game face on. Ah. <laughs>